0: Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast fighting a war on multiple fronts. My name's Corey Hazelest and my partner of propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hi, Corey. We've spent the last few weeks engrossed in US politics, but now that Joe Biden has won and all America's problems are over, it's about time we tore our eyes away from John King's wall and instead focused on UK politics. It has been a while. In a moment, you're going to hear a catchy little theme tune from Dave Depper. Steve and I are going to read up on what's been going on and we'll have a bit of a chat about it.
1: Crikey, Steve. It's a bloody
0: mess, isn't it?
1: Yeah, we turned our back for just like a month and and suddenly, like, the the, the Tories have burnt their kitchen down.
0: So our government, it seems at the moment, is currently at war with the civil service, the mayors of London and Greater Manchester, Marcus Rashford, the BBC, the Church of England, the legal profession, refugees, the EU, the US House of Representatives and the new president-elect, part of its youth wing, and itself
1: it is an impressive list of people to be warring with however like uh, most uh, wars fighting on so many fronts probably isn't the best idea but truly like a, an internal civil war within number 10 was not something i expected to see um coming into uh, into november but here we are 2020 once again delivers in terms of uh, unnecessary plot twists
0: we had to talk about british politics anyway and it turns out that dominic cummings had resigned yesterday we assume along with lee kane whose name i didn't know before this week and i couldn't have picked him out of a lineup although i do vaguely remember seeing something about how a downing street aide used to be a chicken so i must have been aware of him on some vague conceptual level
1: yeah same I like i i like when the stories about Lee Kane started to surface uh, during the week, I was like, I-, I have no idea who this 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 guy is. And then it turned out he used to be the Daily Mirror chicken. I was like, Oh, oh him. Okay, no, I do know who that is. That that that's literally the extent of my my knowledge of him. Which in some ways isn't a bad position to be for an advisor, um, or like a comms person because you shouldn't be the story. Um, turns out he's also not good at the rest of the job, but.
0: Well, they have very much been the story this week, haven't they? Um, and I think it's uh, the Kane and Cummings stuff is a bit of a lead in to just generally talking about the nonsense and incompetence of Johnson's government, because it feels that they are the reason why the Johnson government, well, apart from Johnson himself, obviously that's not uh, absolve him from blame, but the combative approach that what they, they seem to call the vote leave block, which is Cummings and Kane, they seem to be behind a lot of the reasons why the government's comms have been such a mess. It's why, for instance, they've been trying to fight on battles on free school meals, for instance, and U-turning you you twice.
1: Yeah, apparently Lee Kane in particular was um, very combative over the free school meals and just, for some reason, just got it into his head that it was a good comms strategy to, uh, to oppose Marcus Rashford and twice in a row now lead the government into an embarrassing U-turn.
0: There was a really interesting quote that I think
1: an unnamed
0: government advisor Uh, gave to Politico around that Marcus Rashford it was the time when they were trying to fight Marcus Rashford and Andy Burnham and they were trying to fight Andy Burnham on matters related to the North which regular listeners of this podcast will know is a bad idea because if anyone embodies the North, is associated with the North and its concepts in a a visceral spiritual way it is indeed Andy (laughs) Burnham
1: and um, yeah, when you cut Andy Burnham, he just bleeds gravy.
0: The, so the advisor says that Andy Burnham is essentially a, a, I think a third-rate Miliband politician. And Marcus Rashford, okay, yes, he, you know, he's obviously a smart guy, but he's no Claude von clauswitz And I think that just feels like a, a massive, that's a really massive insight into their soul, I think, because actually what and what both Andy Burnham and Marcus Rashford are, are decent compassionate intelligent principled individuals who are taking a stand on a moral issue and it feels like actually the staff around number 10 just couldn't understand that
1: I mean also just the fact that you know the uh, the unnamed Downing Street source probably Dominic Cummings um gives a uh, uh, uses Klauschwitz as their as the analogy it's like who who uses Klauschwitz as your like your your go to for varying very clever tactical or, or genius or or whatever? You, you just don't do that unless you are somebody who's very very like, elitist and is the sort of person who goes around thinking, ah oh, well, unless you have read these sorts of books, clearly you can't truly know. Uh, you know what's going on or anything even the choice of like analogies reveals so much about them
0: it's something that strikes me especially with cummings departure from government having achieved basically nothing in, in in many ways actually less than nothing it is the fact that actually politeness is a really undervalued characteristic in politics yeah that the reason why cummings seem to achieve so little well the reason why Cummings rubbed people up the wrong way in the Department of Education and in number 10 and I think Sam Friedman has done some interesting tweets on this he worked with Cummings at the DFE is that Cummings pissed off so many people including the people he needed to actually implement the stuff he wanted done and there was a really interesting piece that um, Marie Le Conte wrote in the middle of I think the government had had its 673rd U-turn the piece was essentially looking at why the the government was so dysfunctional and I think she quotes Polly McKenzie I think does who was one of Nick Clegg's old spans back in the day in the glory days of the coalition when government worked so smoothly hello Mark by the way and, and so Polly Mackenzie said that uh, there's a reason why aeroplanes are often driven by the co-pilot not the pilot and that's because it's easier for the pilot to overrule their underling rather than the um if the pilot is driving it it's really hard to tell your boss that they're doing the wrong thing and what seems to happen is the culture at number 10 is just has just been so toxic there's this culture of fear. Yeah, everything's being run from the top, and yet everything has been going very, very wrong. But there's no one who's actually able to stick their head above the parapet. Sorry, look at me like an unnamed number 10 source doing a war metaphor. <laughs>
1: we'll talk
0: about the battle, but it does seem like there's, there's no one who's able to say, like a chief of staff, for instance, and, um, and get a grip and say no this is stupid we're not going to do this
1: absolutely i mean i think one of the, I, can't, I can't remember who it was that pointed this out i think it might have been been paul goodman um in 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 his analysis on conservative home kind of like points out and then again this is something we've discussed on the podcast as well as that dominic cummings is not a conservative um he is not a tory in any real sense of the word. He's a revolutionary, positions himself as a revolutionary who wants to, you know, in, in like make his mark on, on on all the institutions because he thinks he can do it better. The, the, the problem you have with that is that's all fine and great on a campaigning basis. And at campaigning, actually, Cummins is pretty good. Like he's got a number of records of victories under his belt, some of which he was the sole architect for, others which he was heavily involved in, in shaping the overall... Um, kind of like narrative and in general direction, which led to victory. But campaigning and governance are not the same thing, um, and they require different skill sets. And uh, for Cummins, because he is a revolutionary surrounded by people who uh, are not, he doesn't trust anybody other than the small group of people that he came up with, like Lee Kane. As a result, he just doesn't want to cede power because the institutions that he wants to kind of change and replace are the ones that have to implement his plans and ideas, which in turn means he can't trust them to do it. Because why would they want to want to change when they're going to be a when they they're opposed to him? So yeah, and that's what kind of leads him to this kind of abrasiveness with uh, with the civil service. And when you throw in the fact that an awful lot of conservative MPs are are opposed to uh, are opposed to a lot of the change for the sake of change which is kind of to a degree what Dominic Cummings is kind of aiming for you know they can't be trusted either which and therefore damages his his relationships with them and, and suddenly he goes from a position of oh I'm in this position of power where I can actually do some things to I am surrounded on all sides by people who do not like me the one common thing is obviously Dominic Cummings and it's, it's him that's caused this not anything else But it just prevents him from actually getting anything done at all because at the end of the day, good lead, good, good governance um, requires good leadership and good leadership requires you to trust the people below you to be able to do their job and do it effectively because otherwise you end up trying to do everything yourself and if you try and do everything yourself it goes horribly, horribly wrong. It goes horribly wrong in an office setting and it is definitely going to go horribly wrong when you are at the top of government where dealing dealing with things that are a hell of a lot more complicated than, than anything that happens in most kind of like team meetings.
0: A lot of the problems with the, the Cummings style of governance that we've seen since December echo a lot of the criticisms that were levelled at the sort of policy agenda of Jeremy Corbyn, actually, where Corbyn, it, it feels like... It's all about process and not about substance. So a lot of the Corbyn policy agenda was criticised quite unfairly, actually, in my view. It was criticised at going back to the 70s. It's all about nationalisation, which as a caricature. Actually, that is a caricature of what the policy is. That there's I mean, we've had podcasts on actually that um, a lot of the McDonald style policy agenda is much more nuanced than that. But this is the that was a stick that the conservatives would beat that agenda with but it strikes me that a lot of what Cummings has said about government in terms of thinking about the blob in terms of trying to disrupt the civil service try and bring in you know misfits and weirdos to turn out to be eugenicists all that Cummings has been trying to do is about trying to change almost who is governing Britain and how it's not really been about or, or say um we've talked about for instance setting up an an equivalent of DARPA, a sort of research ring or trying to get more scientists involved in government. It's all been about trying to change the levers of power, none of it has been about, okay, what is it that we're actually going to do?
1: Absolutely. And again, all of that comes down to the fact that Dominic Cummings is convinced that the people who should be making decisions are people like Dominic Cummings. And and, and that's all, all it really boils, boils down to is that he's a man with a very big ego um, and wants more people like him in positions to to make decisions because he's convinced that they could do it better. You say that,
0: but actually, there's a weird dynamic as well going on where Cummings says we need fewer Oxbridge arts graduates. I need more scientists, and yet Cummings himself is an Oxbridge arts graduate. So it's a very, very weird combination.
1: It is it's like it does seem like there's a bit of dissonance there. But you've also got to remember that Dominic Cummings thinks he understands big data. He thinks he understands um, science and all of the and, and you know statistics and things like that to, to to the degree where he's an expert in them. He thinks he's a super forecaster. You know all of these sort of things where in reality he's none of them. I'm I'm sure Dominic Cummings actually probably has a reasonable grasp of stuff statistics i'm sure actually he probably has an okay grasp of the big data because it's quite easy to get to that kind of level and things but what he lacks is the awareness to go you know what i don't know everything about this and i need to actually lean on to other people i people and that's where it kind of gets in so i think he thinks he is those sorts of people but- even though he's he's not
0: Again, if that's true, then that is deeply ironic because it feels to me that is exactly what Cummings is criticising the civil service for, in that he's criticising the call to the generalist when they need to be recruiting
1: specialists.
0: Yep. feels to me a uh, so similar dynamic, actually, to a lot of um, a lot of the Donald Trump stuff in that... So I'm reading at the moment Steve Richards' book, The Rise right of the Outsider, and one of the things he says about right-wing outsiders like Donald Trump is that often they actually... They echo the calls of those... On the left, like Corbyn, for massively increased government spending, except what Richard argues is with Trump, it's almost the state is embodied as himself. So it's not like making a social democratic argument about the good that government can do. Instead, it's about I am the one that can solve your problems. Um, you know, I'm the one yeah. that can build the wall. I'm the one that can keep the immigrants out. I'm the one that can bring back your coal jobs and bring your factories back and, and what have you. Yeah, it's a really weird individual take rather than a collective take.
1: Yeah. So one of the one of the things that I think we probably need to spend a bit of time on really is just looking at the, the likelihood of whether or not Dominic Cummings is going to... Uh, try and you know fire back in some form against the government if for, by all accounts the way that both he and Lee Kane have left the government it's not been partic- not on good terms as a result of that you, you've got a situation where questions are being raised as to whether or not Dominic Cummings is going to try and take any kind of like pot shots in future um, against the government. Based on previous behaviour um, we know that Dominic Cummings is actually a very petty man um, so when he was fired by Michael Gove at the Department of Education, he spent weeks and weeks uh, gaining access to civil service buildings, which isn't difficult to do, and signing in under the name Osama bin Laden because he felt that it make them look bad to, that they were that he was still getting access. That uh, you know he was able to use such a blatantly fake name. All of these sorts of things, and it's like if he's the sort of person that does that, then. I can only imagine what's what could happen now he's been booted out from his only real chance to actually achieve. Been talking about for God knows how many years. As such, I, it would not surprise me if there is a twenty thousand blog post word blog post coming, which is going to outline all of the flaws from his perspective of how Boris Johnson is a terrible prime minister, uh, or, or how the uh, cabinet is you know full of sycophants and various things like that, or how they're all secretly in hock to you know whatever shadowy cabal he decides is responsible for his downfall probably the blob it's almost certainly the blob with people like him
0: Oh yeah they'll either be a really long probably slightly tedious but interesting in parts blog post or i'm really scared he's going to write a memoir 800 pages or something i mean but i mean cummings has done that already so after the brexit referendum he was writing blogs about how the government was conducting brexit i think i'm pretty sure in one of those he described David Davis as being thick as mince. I don't think he uh, minced his words, although maybe you could say he he did. Um, he probably will, and it will probably be a day or two story. Um, but the thing is, I think a lot of the Cummings aura has gone in that he's had his chance. So he has been at the heart of government and doesn't have anything to show for it other than destroying the government's communications message and public trust over its coronavirus messaging by driving to Barnard Castle to test site. eyesight yeah. and I think try, like, installing a Communications room that wasn't completed by the time he left. Like, it's difficult, isn't it, to be the prince across the water and say, "I've got this great idea," when actually the re- the reaction will be, "Well, yeah, you had your chance, and you massively cocked it up and achieved nothing."
1: I, I reckon there will be a blog post incoming, unless there's something actually incendiary in there. Like the, the one thing that I think potentially could be problematic is apparently Lee Kane and Dominic Cummings were were the people that were kind of like ending up, having to persuade. Boris Johnson to actually go into another lockdown. The only, if that is accurate and that is the case and that could already be you know Lee Kane and Boris Johnson and uh, Dominic Cummings covering their asses in some capacity to try and make them look better. Um but if that is accurate then it could be that Cummings has some kind of evidence or access to something which could show, you know, what Boris Johnson wasn't taking this seriously. This is how flippant he was um, with uh, in regards to coronavirus, prioritising this over this or whatever it might be. If something like that comes out, that could genuinely be a problem for the government. But there's no guarantee of something like that, and if there isn't some, if there isn't like uh, any evidence of, of something of that sort then it's just going to be an angry blog post by someone who's just lost their job and not really probably worth much. It's going to be news for a couple of days, I imagine, and then it'll probably just fade away into obscurity.
0: I think the more interesting issue that raises, what does this mean for the Boris Johnson administration in the coming weeks and months? Because there's been a couple of Tory MPs talking about this being a reset. I've seen people saying that this is the the let Bartlett be Bartlett stage of Boris Johnson's premiership, um, which it seems like we have with with any sort of Prime Minister. I think the problem with that is it's this... And you've already seen Tory MPs talk about how, well, we didn't elect Boris Johnson for being a details man and, you know, actually doing governing. We elected him to go wiffle-waffle and talk in extended metaphors and say vaguely optimistic things and win elections. You know, we didn't actually want him to be Prime Minister because we thought we'd be good at it. And, and so I think... I think the problem is that Boris Johnson at heart doesn't know what kind of prime minister he wants to be. And again, just to go back to Steve Richards, really interesting Steve Richards essay on Gordon Brown in his latest book on the prime ministers. And when you think about how Gordon Brown started being uh, his time as prime minister and he tried to make himself out the apolitical father of the nation. You know, he was putting people like Digby Jones in his cabinet. He was making him say, I'm the prime minister for all Britons. And Richards makes the argument that essentially that that was never going to hold for very long because that's fundamentally at heart, completely opposite to what Gordon Brown is. You know, Gordon Brown is a proud Labour member. He's a tribalist Labour member. He was never going to govern for very long in that Thing, because that's not the kind of prime minister he was ever going to be. It's not the kind of person he is or personality he is. I mean, with Boris Johnson, who knows what kind of personality, you know, is in the, the, the enigma that is Boris Johnson, where it's easy if you're mayor of London to be vaguely optimistic and get caught on a zip wire at the Olympics and all that kind of nonsense. It's harder to do that when, as prime minister, you actually have to do things. You know, if you're a mayor of London, you're, there's a limit to the amount of power that you've got and the amount of levers you can pull. And also he wasn't mayor of London in the middle of a pandemic and a jobs crisis. So mm-hmm. uh, and also we have uh, a looming no deal Brexit coming out in six weeks. And one of the undertones that uh, that is coming out from the, the Kane and Cummings departure is seen as it's being seen by commentators in a... Um, in a very, oh, the Vote Leave people have gone, therefore maybe Johnson is looking to do some sort of deal with the EU on Brexit. And oh, for the love of Christ, can we please inject some sanity into an EU conversation, for one?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing really where the Vote Leave people kind of going um, might actually mean a kind of a shift it isn't necessarily in relation to, to the EU, but probably in relation to things like the levelling up agenda. Um, because you have now Boris Johnson, who is not an ideological prime minister in the sense of he knows what he wants to do. That is his focus. He's driving that through. We've, we've talked numerous times about how, in effect, Dominic Cummings was providing the ideological centre for, for Johnson's administration. With John, uh, with Cummings gone, suddenly there's that, that gap. So what fills that? Chances are, I think it's just going to be kind of leaning more back towards, um, you know, traditional Tory kind of policy. Um, and we can we've already seen with Rishi Sunak that uh, Sunak is trying to build himself a kind of like a, a campaign machine to become the next leader. Um, he's actively kind of positioning himself to be friendly with MPs, all of those sorts of things. Um, and I think actually Sunak's probably gonna find himself in a position where he can now exhibit uh, an awful lot more control over the policy agenda than he could before because he doesn't have Dominic Cummings shouting him down, which means, you're probably going to end up seeing the government going back more towards uh, something that's a bit more what you would expect out of the Conservatives. Um, you're probably looking more David Cameron than, um, than Maggie Thatcher, necessarily. But I, I can definitely see the, uh, the level-up agenda kind of being, if not abandoned, gutted in some capacity, which politically is absolutely the wrong thing to do, given they've won those seats on the promise of, you know, raising them up investing in those areas but if there is no one arguing for that strongly in government then the treasury is going to have a lot more sway um to just go no we don't want to pay for that which you know the treasury is wants to do in general and definitely want to do when it's uh, led by, uh, by someone like Sunak who just is, is very much in favour of lower taxes, um, lower expenditure overall.
0: The counterpoint to that I think is that the people who will be arguing for this levelling up agenda are going to be those new Conservative MPs who were elected in December and uh, uh, mm-hmm. Robert Hutton wrote this week about the plethora of research groups that have ballooned in the Conservative Party over the last couple of weeks. So, um, Steve Baker, who was one of my movers and shakers of 2020, has moved and shaken his way into a COVID research group, which appears not to be about developing vaccines, but instead of opposing lockdowns. The 2019 intake, we have we did a patron episode for our champagneers. thank you for your support, about how that in particular intake seems to be more indisciplined than previous intakes. But interesting stat this week, I saw on the red box Twitter is, that the majority of parliamentary private secretaries who've been appointed are from that 2019 intake. So, And there's a big block of people there. There's a, isn't Jake Berry, the one who thinks that they don't play football in the South? He's set up a group of Tory MPs talking about how the North needs more investment. And so there are going to be groups of people who will undoubtedly push for that because their fortunes, you know, if they're going to get re-elected in an election... Um, in three or four years time as you say they need to prove that the uh, government has redistributed money to those areas and if the government does start introducing austerity in the middle of a rising jobs crisis and pandemic and heaven knows what is going to happen with Brexit for instance where there's now talk of Johnson trying to maybe extend Brexit for another year and he can't do that because the deadline for that was back in June and and this is the 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 thing we haven't talked about um, with the the Johnson, the, the Cummings and Kane approach, whereas you say Cummings is not a conservative, that rudeness and that abrasiveness and wanting to make everything into a battle, it's completely eroded Johnson's political capital within the Conservative Party. All the Utah, you think about all the amount of flack that those conservative MPs took on free school meals or a lot of conservative mps would have taken that number 10 line they would have defended that got a lot of grief from their constituents and then suddenly number 10 pulls the rug out out over them then does a u-turn on free school meals Not once, but twice. Why would any Conservative MP go out on number 10 and defend what's going on in the media? Is that really going to change just because you got rid of a couple of advisers? I I, I doubt it.
1: No, I I don't think that's going to change at all. Although the the point that you bring up about, like, um, are they calling themselves the Northern Research Group? Or am I making that up? I, I do kind of wonder if maybe the one kind of hope for that agenda is whether or not Rishi Sunak considers them to be like worthwhile courting from the perspective of gonna give me your votes in the next um, leadership election um, because if he's got that block of kind of like um, MPs behind him, then he's got a decent chunk of people to work with and work for him to kind of win over other people. So depending on how ambitious Rishi Sunak is, we might find that 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 agenda could stay around and still be on the cards because it helps him get elected as uh, the next Conservative Party leader um, and potentially the next Prime Minister, if we assume that Johnson probably isn't going to stick around for uh, the full term which I'm increasingly convinced isn't is going to is going to be the case
0: yeah I, I and he has already I think that uh, been meeting with MPs from the the new red wall blue wall move wall that there's been a few tweets about that so I mean I think that's Possible. It feels like Boris Johnson's premiership has a clock attached to it in the same way that it feels like Theresa May's premiership had a clock attached to it after the, after the general election result of 2017. I, th- I suppose a lot of it depends on the politics over how the lockdown gets ended or extended, or the politics over what does that Brexit end state look like. If we assume that it's going to be the barest of deals, which is essentially no deal plus you know how is that sold will that be seen as a capitulation to the EU do you see the ELG putting putting letters in to the nineteen twenty two committee? I can't believe we're talking about this already and it's like we're now back to twenty eighteen. One way Cummings might return to government is uh, at the behest of Michael Gove, or is that seen actually Gove's closeness to Cummings means he's not seen as that a safe pair of hands? Are you, you going to see a stop scene that candidate, or a stop Gove candidate, or you know, you've got a lot of people on the yeah, backbench, yeah. just like Jeremy Hunt, Jeremy Hunt and Sajid Javid, or to give him his proper name, The Saj. Um, uh, I don't know, it's I can't, I can't believe we're having this discussion in the middle of a pandemic six weeks away from a possible no deal Brexit.
1: I think the, the one thing we can say for certain is that um, Cummings leaving the government is very much a it's an opportunity for the government to change course. It's very much going to be one of those moments where we go, this is where the fate of the Johnson administration was probably set in some capacity. What Johnson decides to do after this point probably determines how long he's Prime Minister for, whether or not he gets um, gets thrown out by the 1922 and the, the various letters from Tory MPs. It probably sets up who's going to follow him. We are very much looking at this, this as uh, one of those moments which is going to have kind of like ripple effects over the next few years in regards, certainly to the, the Conservative Party and potentially to the country as a whole, which is one of those things where, if an, an advisor is able to have that kind of effect by them not being there, that is a terrifying situation in a lot of ways, especially when you know who that advisor is and you know exactly what the impacts they've had or they've had, not necessarily in terms of governance, but in terms of culture, attitude, um, or as in, in office. It's kind of a testament to how important Dominic Cummings was to johnson but also how bad he was at his job
0: that seems like a super endpoint, point to be honest doesn't it yeah well next week we'll be trying to take a step back and i don't know what we're going to talk about steve but let's hope it's not chaos let's try and find a nice subject <laughs> to talk about in the meantime we will be putting out content for our champagneers, and if you would like to see some of that exclusive content and support the podcast What do you need to do, Steve?
1: Uh, You need to head over to patreon.com slash notenoughchampagne, where if you throw us a few quid every month, you will gain access to unique content that we put up just for our supporters over there early access to blog posts um uh, you know we also have a, a hold on occasion uh kind of like uh round table discussions on, on various topic matters with some of our uh, regular uh, kind of like talking heads on the show uh yeah so head over um us a few uh, few quid everything goes towards the running of the podcast um and as long as we're able to kind of uh, cover the costs. We can keep doing this in, in perpetuity as long as we're enjoying doing it.
0: Our website is notenoughchampagne.com Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash notenoughchampagne. James Cram designed our logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed off the YouTube bookie good times. I'm on Twitter at Paperback Rioter
1: I'm at Acoustic Radical.
0: Happy plotting.